Anime is a vast and varied medium, and if you're not already familiar, it can be daunting to find something you might be interested in watching. This is a podcast where three average anime enjoyers introduce their uninitiated co-host to their favorite anime touchstones, so he can join them deep in the weeds. Cowboy Bebop, a 26-episode neo-noir sci-fi anime which originally ran from 1998 to 1999. On September 2nd, 2001, it became the first anime title to broadcast on Adult Swim. Credited with helping to introduce anime to a new wave of Western viewers, it has also been called a gateway series for anime in general. Cowboy Bebop is set in the year 2071 and follows the lives of a bounty-hunting crew aboard their spaceship, the Bebop. Although it incorporates a wide variety of genres, the series draws most heavily from sci-fi, noir, and western films. Its most prominent themes are existential ennui, loneliness, and the inability to escape one's past. For this episode, we watched three episodes. Episode 1, Asteroid Blues. Episode 18, Speak Like a Child. And episode 22, Cowboy Funk. Got that cowboy funk. (laughs) Uh, do you want to go episode by episode, or do you want me to just read the summaries and then we just hit and talk about whatever? I'm I'm okay with kind of covering each episode's summary and then kind of diving in, because I, I've got a feeling that's probably going to work better and it'll allow us to flow into each one, because much much like the show, we learned that, you know, flowing like water, good thing. <laughs> I agree. An episode uh. we didn't watch, but... <laughs> It was it was on the, my short list for ones that we could watch. Yeah, all basically all of the episodes were on my short list because the series is very good. Um, One of my notes is just every episode is a banger. <laughs> yes. All right, and... so the summary for episode one, Asteroid Blues. Spike and his bounty hunter partner Jet head to an asteroid colony to track down a bounty named Asimov who is wanted for stealing a cache of dangerous combat drug known as Bloody Eye, from his own crime syndicate. Spike encounters Asimov and his girlfriend, Katerina, while both Asimov's syndicate and the police close in. Okay, first I have a question. Yes. Did you watch the subbed version or the dubbed version? I watched the one that the direct the series creator told me to watch. Mm-hmm. The one that is... The the one that def- is the greatest argument against people that's those purists that say, oh, you should only watch it sub. Like, <laughs> the, the creator said, watch the dub, it's better. I, I watched dubbed as well. I yeah. recommended it to Bob as the dub, yes. The dub in this show is just absolutely fantastic. Yeah, it's generally held up as one of the, the best. <laughs> I, I am hard-pressed to think of a dub I like more. Funnily enough, I have only ever seen the English dub, and then when I went to Netflix and hit play, and it started it playing in the Japanese, I was, like, surprised, because I, like, forgot that it was Japanese originally. So, so I watched I... one episode with the Japanese dub just so I could kind of get a feel for the, like, differences. I will admit, I so I pay for the Crunchyroll and for the Netflix, and I was like, oh, it's on Crunchyroll, and a lot of other things I'm watching are on there, so I went to play that, and then it's like, hold on, wait, what didn't you say in English? 
do you mean it's only in sub? I was like, well, the, the answer is, oh, well, we'll go to Funimation where we already know we have it there. Like, oh, yeah. So, I yeah, I started playing it there. This is the show that I think for a lot of people, like, this is where, you know, Steve Bloom was first. Bloom? Blum. Steve Blum, Blum was, like, yeah. first, like, popular role. And it was incredible because he's become one of those voice actors where no matter what he's in, I'm just like, oh, hey, it's Steve Blum again. But then I was watching this show and I forgot that it was Steve Blum because it's like, no, that's Spike Spiegel. Yeah. I won't lie. For the longest time, I was like, I knew it was Steve Blum. I was like, no, no, that's Spike Spiegel in this show. I was like, that's, that's not that's not the correct way to say it. Like, no, no, no. Yes, it is. So that was the main character, yes? That's yes. the yes. voice actor's name? Mm-hmm. Okay. I think I've heard him in American voiceovers. He's done some I stuff. I guess that would make sense. Yeah. Bob, I'm fairly certain, Joe, you're, you're a research gremlin, you're going to be faster than me. I'm pretty sure he did Wolverine in one of the various X-Men animated series. I believe like, it was Wolverine and the X-Men. <laughs> was it that one? It was that or the... Uh... Oh, God, what was the WB one? Yeah. He's, that's where I recognized the voice, and I was like, Wolverine, yeah. what are you doing here? Yeah. Uh, yep, Wolverine... I know my... uh, uh, still on Cartoon Network, he was the voice of Tom uh, on the Toonami bumpers for a while. Mm-hmm. Or... Really? Yes. Yeah. Uh, God, was hmm. it all iterations or? I think so. All iterations that I'm familiar with anyway. So yeah. he was doing the intro to the show that he was on. Yep. Well, <laughs> like, um, uh, Cowboy Bebop was never on Toonami. It was only on Adult Swim. Oh, okay. Even though it was kind of the same time slot, because Toonami used to have a midnight block, but then Adult Swim took it over. I've watched a lot of Cartoon Network and cared way too much about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As soon as you correct it, I'm like, oh, that's right, it was Adult Swim. Oh, man, it's been years. There was a, um, God, I mean, in this first episode, uh, when we're, we're getting the sense of, like, okay, this show does a lot of things, and they're all rad. That's a really useful sentence I just said there. All right, uh-huh. moving on. Um, one of the Adult Swim bumpers used a piece from this first episode when um, we're watching uh, Spike boot up the Swordfish 2 and, you know, start the and ending. Whistling. And whistling, and Jeff mm-hmm. just goes, hmm, nice tune, real easy. And they use that in one of the bumpers, and I it sent me back in time to like 2004, up at midnight, just watching Adult Swim. Like, oh god, this really oh, it's that sent me hunting on YouTube. I'm like, I need those back in my life again. Yeah, it's, it's like I just need to be able to go back and watch those every once in a while and feel like I'm, you know, <laughs> not even 20 years old again for <laughs> for those really bad days. <laughs> yeah. Um. And I will also say, this show, Bob, I'm sure some things you'll catch because this plays to American and Japanese audiences just equally and in force. But this show is, like, honestly, just oops all references in its own way. Yeah. I I was going to say, like, maybe, you know, we should start talking about that a little bit because... There's the 
the text in the background of like the intro and the title <sighs> cards and every eye catch that is talking about like oh and they were bebop and they would create unto themselves a new genre but like i don't know if this show is so much a new genre so much as it is like very cleanly splicing a lot of genres together because like it is the sci-fi it is playing with you know cowboy aesthetics it is bounty hunting it is the noir you know super saccharine bittersweet it is the you know it is a samurai film it's a samurai film uh it's like kung fu movies like the the very you know first couple of shots when we're going from uh you know the 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 kitchen on the ship where jed is cooking to spike doing katas in his quarters or whatever and it's just like all right with the harmonica going the harmonica of like you know blues man harmonica it's just like okay this show is just like meshing a whole lot of like known quantities but just like meshing them into not since the box art for the snes game phalanx has have we seen the uh the sort of harp and sci-fi mesh together so well I would argue that I would argue that does make it its own thing because it did something I don't think I've seen kind of replicated successfully anywhere else, which is a blending of so much and it coming out good. Yeah, yeah. it definitely doesn't feel like, hey, look at this ref. It it's it's its own thing, but it's like definitely like paying homage to a it's it's using a lot of parts and is using them really cleanly. Like um, the 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 one thing that hit me, and I know this comes up more during the show, even though we didn't actually see too much of it during these episodes. But like the show likes to include even a lot of like mysticism. Like there's a scene in the the first episode where he's talking to a fortune teller, and like first of all, the fortune teller's right, just spot on. I I have some thoughts on that. Yeah, but um. But, like, the that comes back through in other episodes, in the movies. Like, there's a lot of weird, like, we're, we're doing the sci-fi and we're doing the, you know, Western and we're doing the mysticism. And it's just, like, it's it, – and it, I the thing I think it does is it's not just, like, putting the pieces next to each other. It's doing the kind of thing where it's just, like, yes, all of these things exist – in the world together it's not just we're putting a reference on screen it is we have built a world where all of these cultures have kind of meshed together they made an image out of multiple puzzles that shouldn't connect but did yeah and it it's and it's so seamless the the colony that they're on in the first episode is just called tijuana and it's just like <laughs> all right and jet just calling it, and I don't. I, I should. I meant to look at the subbed and see. Did Jet call it TJ and or refer to it as TJ and that? Because like that's a thing. And like, oh, there's choice one way or the other. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I love it. One of the things I consider like good uh, when sci-fi does it right um, is when you have the world and like the spaces that people are in and like there's no real like direct pointing at it going oh this is this thing and this is that thing they're just like really well-worn lived in spaces and the way they talk about it is so natural it's like okay i'm just accepting what you're telling me it doesn't feel like 
oh, what's that? It's like, we're going to a colony, and we're calling it, or a stop anyways, and we're calling it TJ, Tijuana. I was like, I know what a Tijuana is, and the way they're talking about it is the way I've heard people talk about Tijuana before. So, one-to-one correlation, and then they make it happen. <laughs> I, I feel like the sort of, like, modern reference is um, kind of what they do in WALL-E, uh, where it's like, we're not really going to explain anything like we don't have the audience stand in who's like oh well what is this thing and then somebody you know else is explaining it to them for the audience it's the kind of thing where it's like it's a piece of media that is showing you the world and has enough respect for the audience to just say you'll pick it up through context clues and like it's doing smart things to make sure that the context clues are there for you to notice things but um it is, it is It is. exactly that. It is not going out of its way to point things out. It is just letting them be on the screen and letting the audience just, like, follow along. Oh, yeah. It does visual language and show don't tell perfectly. And I, I'm, so- I'm so hard-pressed to find something that does it better. As someone who loves science fiction, I actually really do appreciate that about this show, is... I don't need all the background of every single planet of every single thing. You just go in and you're like, hmm, makes sense. And you know, Bob, here's here's the short version for you. It all happens within like a very short distance of Earth, essentially. It's the innermost planets. I think the do they do act just like Saturn and Jupiter for like some travel and uh, some trade? of the moons. I think some of the moons. That's what it is. Yeah. It's like, and I'm like. So it's like you're not even going that far outside of the neighborhood, so to speak. I think they reference Mars in the first episode. Yeah, yeah, Mars is like the new Earth, in a sense, or the way Earth is portrayed in most science fiction. It's the center of everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were talking about like, oh, yeah, no, you. it's the nicest place. They have all of the stuff, but also you need money to live there. So it's like, oh, okay, this has become, you know, upper Manhattan of the inner solar system, I guess. <laughs> yeah, this is D.C., Manhattan... Uh, Vegas and we'll say Hollywood all rolled into one. Gotcha. Because even in that first episode, one of my notes I made is like they talk the Asimov and his girlfriend, whose name I apparently didn't put down, which really upsets Katarina. me. Katarina. Katarina, thank you. Katarina, like once. Yeah. Yeah. And they both say like, "Well, we're it's like we're going to go to Mars." Yeah, you got to be kind of rich to live on Mars. And, and that that does so much conveying with just so little dialogue. And the way it's said, the way it's presented is just, okay, so Mars is it. It's not Earth. It's Mars. Yeah. And it, it, that just says so much about this culture because then it immediately sets up the question, well, why why not Earth? What happened to Earth? Did we just use it up like we're on the trajectory to do so? Or did something else happen? Spoiler, something else happened. <laughs> <clears throat> And actually, I was just going to do the math on it. We're not too far from when that happens. Oh, no, good. We just passed it. Well, we did just pass it. I knew it was coming up. So I'm like, okay, uh, so we, we've proven this is not the future. <laughs> Shame. It's, I, I, want, I want a swordfish, too. I want one of those. Yeah. Um, Bob, I, when we played Destiny 1, there, I don't know if you remember, you, me, and Kyle, there was a ship I wanted badly when, uh, what was it? Uh, don't say Wrath of the Lich King. That's wow. The Taking King came out. Okay. I kept saying it looked like the swordfish, and it, that's what I'm referring to this whole time. Years, you know, this is what six, seven years later we're having this discussion. Of, this is the point of reference for you. 
what I found strange. Oh, sorry. No, you go, you go. Uh, that their representation of being poor, I suppose, or needing money, is that they do not have beef. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, kind of think of it like things are now. It's hard to get meat <laughs> groceries. Is, just meat, especially, is mm-hmm. hard to cultivate, um, and it's hard to... Um, you know, make like supply chains that are going to spread across the whole galaxy. <laughs> so it doesn't they had surprise no... me that that's like a special thing. Because he had no problem getting green peppers and paying for the gas. This may be me overanalyzing. <laughs> no, yeah. plants are easy to grow in space. There's a real sense of like, okay, do you have money or not? Because you can't get beef and there's a number of mentions of like, I haven't eaten like mm-hmm. anything real in days but it's like yeah you are paying for gas and one of the the first shots after uh the intro which oh my god tank is such a bop i forgot that that's an all time yeah. banger um but i'm, I'm the... saving till the end for that okay <laughs> uh but one of the first shots that we see is them going through basically a space easy pass and i was just like okay so you do have like maybe they're just actually good at budgeting and they just have like, like here's the money for our operational costs not including food for some reason. It's like, all right, not including good food. This is like, like we're living off rations, not meals. And don't pick it as an insult. I genuinely appreciated that this is the sense that we get of these characters. Yeah. That's the point of reference. And for what it's worth, Bob, they, they kind of double down on that later. There is an episode where they're essentially drifting towards their next destination because times have gotten that hard for them. They've fallen on that hard of luck that it's like, well, we're, we're trying to stay on course for, I think it's Ganymede. And, you know, we just got to get there and we got to hold out and we have nothing to eat. Yeah. I really love this first episode, too, as an introduction of the characters of Spike and Jet. Like, it really, like, shows you who they are. And, it does. like, how they approach their... Um, their ba- the bounties like just says so much about how they think about things to that point it's like we we learn later definitively jet was a former police detective on mars if i remember correctly and just the way he does his investigation you kind of get that feels like this is a guy the way he walks and moves looks around assesses the scene of the bar fight that went bad that's something I would expect out of a seasoned investigator. He looks around, but there's then there's Spike in contrast. He's just, no, I'm I'm gonna, you know, bumble onto them through through way of Mystic Sand. <sighs> I have feelings about that. It's both good and bad. Uh, but well, well, like Spike also is. Uh, we get the good scene of like he is being choked out by Asimov, which also just Asimov being a common first name in this world. All right, cool. I love it. I love it. Um, but like he's being choked out by this dude, and as he's passing out, he has the presence of mind to pickpocket this dude. And it's, so it's like, like for Spike, it is definitely this like the bumbling is absolutely you know as much performance. Like he's a con man. <laughs> He's he's kind of a con man, but it, but it's it's like yeah no he definitely like I, I knows his trade. Yeah, I, I don't know. Spike is is a really weird character, and it's more like uh, he's kind of like more emotional intelligence and like understanding people, whereas Jet's more like the like 
intellectual approach to things. Yeah, that makes sense. Oh, definitely. And I would say, to your point about pickpocketing, again, me, I am just a sucker for all kinds of references. You you know who he's, what character he was modeled off of, I'm assuming, Joe and Nick. Uh, who? Another great, <laughs> another fun guy who has kind of rounded shoes like him, yeah. and kind of a goofy, lanky posture, and pals around with a bearded friend named Jigen. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and wears a tie, yeah. So, so he does. He goes full loop on the third. He's like, I'm a goofy guy, but I'm also, you know, the drunken master, hidden badass character in a sense. I will show you I'm goofy. I'm uh, off, kind of offbeat, but in reality, that's to keep you off balance, and so you don't know what to expect. Yeah, really. Uh, I was just gonna say, like, I, I never feel like he bumbles into the thing he does, but it is definitely more like intuition based than like planning ahead. Um, mm-hmm. he, he's you know, obviously like you know, good at what he does and he does a number of things from combat to piloting to tracking to it, it like I, I think that's that's why you know we see Jet and Spike's relationship in this first episode and it's just like oh okay these two are both talented which is part of why they are a pair but also because they they approach things from complete opposite angles but they still end up you know uh, uh working towards the same goal and and achieving it in by their own means to some extent it's kind of like the mythbusters oh yeah wow <laughs> yeah. i hadn't even considered that but you right oh wow i've been like marathoning mythbusters for the last week and a half so it's on my mind but yeah no it's kind of like jet is the jamie and spike is the adam oh no yeah yeah no yeah i can oh, see no. that oh wow Oh. Okay, hang on. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta make a note about some fan art to work on later. I was gonna say, have, have I just seen the face of God? Hold on. <laughs> but yes, they in kind of they are a microcosm example of the show and how it blends completely different perspectives and angles of approach of storytelling. They can they conduct themselves so differently, yet they for all that difference, they are able to make it work in a very harmonious way. And achieve a result. Yeah. And also, I, I do like, um, we see the intro. And again, Tank is an absolute banger. I'm going to say that every time it comes up. But in the intro, starting from episode one, like, they have the silhouettes of Faye and Ed. But we it actually is, like, a number of episodes before we meet either of them. Like I made a note of when each character comes into the show. Thank you. Could you please do that? Because I, I wanted to look that up and I forgot. <laughs> yep. First episode, we get Spike and Jet. Episode two, we get Ayn. The most important character. <laughs> episode three is when Faye shows up. And then Ed doesn't show up until episode nine. Yeah, wow. that, that's a while. Um, But it, it's, it's kind of neat because by the time we get to the end of the show, and especially in the way that it is very episodic in, in nature for the most part, uh, it's just like, oh, no, yeah, this is an ensemble show. It's about how these characters are bouncing off of each other and different responses to the same situation, yada, yada, and it's fun and it's great. But because they do sort of trickle out the character introductions over the front, we do get, like, a little bit more of a, a focus on each one as they come in. So it's like there's a little bit of run-up uh, before you get into, you know, the, the very, like, static 
the crew is assembled at this point. Like, it takes longer than you would expect, but it's also not slow in that run-up. Like, it's still fun, and it's good uh, story. You still get that sort of, like, uh, 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 bounty of the week effect that still leads to, you know, exciting and, and engaging stories. So, Bob, I want to hear your thoughts on this on this episode. Go. I want, I want you this to this episode. Kind of yeah, on this episode. I want to hear you break it down for me and what you did and didn't like. Oh, I think I'm going to spoil me not talking about it till the end for this episode. Uh, the intro was so rapid and so showy and lights. I was like, in my head, comparing it to 1980s James Bond. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I, okay. I had, that, I had okay. that exact same note. <laughs> and... I was like, oh, this is so much. I, it's hard for me to keep up, and I don't even know that these people. And then the episode starts. And then I think it's the whistling. Mm-hmm. It's early on. And then the harmonica. I think this show has nailed what every single other show I've ever watched has failed at, and they have blended music perfectly. Mm-hmm. If there is one compliment I could give this show, it's that everything musically is wonderful. The oh, soundtrack yeah. is the, the soundtrack is amazing. Yeah, because uh, uh, what is it? It's the seatbelts. Seat uh, Yoko, Yoko Kano. Kano. Yeah. Yoko Kano. Uh, and yeah, like every piece of music was built, built weird. Okay, uh, purpose made. Yeah, for this show. Like, like the the. I'm, I'm trying to think the. Um, think... Funnily enough, she's like the way the show was made was a little different than than regular shows, um, and that like. They had the concept and stuff, but the she started working on the music before like everything was like written and ready. Um, so and there was a lot of her coming up with things in addition to what they asked for, and just like showing them be like, "Hey, like this music would be good. Put this in somewhere." And then like some of her stuff inspired them to write some scenes for some characters, which in turn inspired her to create some more music. So it was a real cool like back and forth creation process she had a lot of impact on that show more so than most composers would on any show they're working on mm-hmm. and then wasn't it basically the same creative team that went on to make kids on the block the show about rotoscoping drummers i believe so don't quote me on that i'm not as overly familiar with that one yeah i i haven't seen that i just sort of remember being like oh okay the the people who worked on bebop worked on this that makes sense that checks out it's about music okay yeah this that makes sense but yeah that's uh it's such a great soundtrack but bob please continue the show opens the ship comes out of its drive the way it sparks Mm -hmm. i was sold what did you think about the, the essentially the toll booth and its multiple languages as you pass on by? It was clever. Like, everything they did here served a purpose. And I appreciated that. Uh, all of the art was amazing, even if it's... I liked it. Some people might say it's dated. I think it's appropriate. This This show looks incredible. Like, I... A, a lot of times, I think when you think of anime, you think of, like, okay, you know who's reusing like animation cells and like okay nobody's really moving only the lips are flapping in this scene but this is a show where like everything is so well animated uh one one of my notes is um when we get to kind of closer to the end we get to the fist fight between spike and asimov and just like 
everything about like the fluidity of motion and the choreography of the movements and the pacing of the fight, the use of the space, like it is like a, a fantastic scene B, fantastically animated on top of it. Like there, there's nothing you can look at in this show and go, Oh, lazy animation or shortcuts for animation. Like, no, everything they just kind of went whole hog on at all. The fights were spectacular. Uh, interactions between the characters amazing i see why you guys put this in the everyone enjoys it category because everything's just great it is it really is that choreography like anime that choreography is so good and, and knowing they drew inspiration off like bruce lee's actual physical movements and his fighting style it just shows and it gives it such a weight like every kick every punch you know rolling over the table feels like it has weight yeah, and then uh, when we got to the, oh, go ahead. Uh, uh, um, I, I was noticing that in again that same fight scene where it's like like they are, it's not overly fast. Like sometimes you think of just like oh, it's all about especially um, I don't know something like Ruby maybe where it's just like oh, it is high action, which just means everything moves super fast. And it's like no, there's fairly few like punches thrown, but they they all have a sense of weight and momentum and they all feel heavy and they all feel realistic and they look good in motion. Like, like there's not a lot of things actually going on or like this one I was talking about pacing, like it's kind of slow, but it feels good and heavy. It has a verisimilitude, I guess. There is two ways I've personally referred to us. There is, there's anime choreography and then choreography in anime. This is the latter because Mm -hmm. this is not, hyper kinetic unbelievable impossible movements this is not a dbz fight yeah yeah this this is not uh, i couldn't see him move he moved so fast i couldn't even see him because i blinked no it's yeah that punch was fast but it was realistically believably fast and this clearly conveys a believable sense of physics and physicality there are limits in this world that are tan very tantamount or not tantamount sorry very um similar to our own and even later in the series when you see you know movement in space outside of a ship it all serves to draw one in and lend believability to this world that they've built up yeah and it it's so grounded in known real physics and physicality that it's just good (laughs) it's great like they you were saying they take you know, uh, reference Bruce Lee in action. But when I, I watch a lot of the fight scenes here, it doesn't, it's, it's even less kinetic than like a Bruce Lee or like a Jackie Chan fight scene. Like even those are very hyper in a sense. Like this is somewhere between that and the, uh, the five minute back alley brawl from they live, you know, it's like, it's like, that is also, they're just going out and having a wrestling match in the back. And that feels very heavy and real. And this is like right in between. It's like, we're using Kung Fu, but also it is is somewhere brawling. Yeah. It is somewhere between like highly uh, choreographed Kung Fu moves and also just like a brawl, just like a a dirty, we're just going to get some hits in kind of brawl. And to that point, even when they use, you know, martial arts style fighting or brawling fighting, and then there's a gun used. It's the equivalent of that scene from uh, Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark where 
you have all this flash of a guy showing off what he can do and pulls out a gun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there is that kind of sense of reality in some of these fights of, yeah, um, we, we could do this this way, or I could just shoot you <laughs> and end this. They, they approach things from reasonable, realistic lines of thinking. Yeah. Very true. So, Bob, please continue. It's just, once we get to the final scene, and I'm sure we'll have discussion about it, I just really appreciated the way that they gave character to the uh, female, like, Celestina? Katerina. Katerina, yeah. Katerina. And, <laughs> and she's, we have sympathy for her and for the entire ending, and that's the way they play it out. I art the reaction from Spike, everything was spot on. Yeah, I got I an, oh, that's go another thing I love about this show is that like even the quote unquote like bad guys, like they're not bad guys, they're just antagonists and they're all people. I don't know. Like, Asimov eh. <laughs> Asimov yeah. made choices in life. Everyone did. Sure, Asimov's were worse. A dude making bad choices. <laughs> yeah, like actually yeah. I feel like Asimov serves to to make, you know, the story be Katarina's because she's just like, I think, you know, pretty much everybody knows about somebody who is like, oh, I, you were in a, a relationship with a guy who was not good for you, but at some point you were kind of too deep in and it was going to take more than you had to get out of it. And it's just like, like, okay, yeah, he's, Asimov isn't much of a character, but like, he's still believable because like dudes who are just like, bringing the ship down around them are dudes that really exist. It's like, oh, we've met you at the point where you're too far gone. Mm-hmm. I would I would even say that, uh, yeah, that, yes, actually, anyway, I don't know if I could add anything to that. That's exactly what I'd say. And to the point of when we see Katarina the first time with Asimov, it's, oh, and she she's with child, and then she gets shot in mm-hmm. the belly. And Bob, what'd you think of that reveal? With the drugs? Yeah, uh, it's like she gets shot in the yeah. belly. It's like, oh, the poor child. Like, oh, no, those that's where she's been hiding. Where she was throwing stuff. Yeah. I, I, Adzimov knew about that. She was just kind of the drug mule, as it were. Yeah. Should have been a tip-off to her relationship with him. Yeah. <laughs> and we got kind of a bit of foreshadowing to that in the opening scene at the bar because she is sneaking sips of the beer that nobody wants to give her because they all think she's pregnant. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. It's just such good, subtle visual storytelling. Yeah. And she then, wants a Bloody Mary. Yeah. Except that, that was their code, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah you're right. Yeah. No, that's right. <laughs> I've don't got have tomato juice. I've got the tomato juice. Do you have oh. the cash? Yeah. Oh. I also brought tomato juice. <laughs> As one does, of course. Yes. One goes to a bar for a Bloody Mary and brings their own juice. That's uh, the rule. Safe. I want to know... Uh. Between that ending scene, uh, and actually the this episode has a cold open that yep. is just Spike sadly standing in the rain and dropping a rose. Like, how did you feel about the? Oh, sorry, the rose. Saying, Nick, Nick and Bob, let me let me because my notes start with that, and it's uh, I'll skip like the personal feeling on the noir style opening and tolling church bell transitions into gentle melodic music of a, of a, of like a treasured, uh, jewelry box as Spike stands cigarette. Like the visual storytelling, I'm not going to read the whole thing. That visual storytelling drives me nuts every time because it does that back and forth. And like, 
he just came from this. Mm. Okay. Me, I thought was, oh, look, it's the 75th time Bruce Wayne has mourned his parents. <laughs> so, yeah. Bob, that's him. Uh, they, they constantly throw the series of reference three years ago. That was before the three years ago or at the three years ago mark. Th- this is something that will play out later and have relevance in the series. I figure. Does it? I mean, it provides um, a loose through line of a, of a narrative. Um, oh, allow me to clean up my statement. <laughs> it provides relevance to Spike's arc in the story it, because it's the it's kind of where it began for him as part leading to him being on the bebop and how it ends for him narratively. Yeah, I, I'm still just of the opinion that like. What, what what I was getting at is like sometimes this show in being noir, like we and I, I think we'll kind of get into this in the next two episodes. But this show goes over the top in a couple of different directions, but when it does it in this like noir, uh, forlorn, bittersweet kind of way, that is when I find it like least. I, I don't know, believable? That seems like when it's most out of tone, when it's just like, oh, everything is so sad all the time. Oh, it's just like... like I, and especially coming off of, like, um, I don't think it's as bad as Arcane, where, you know, we were watching uh, Powder's backstory and just like, oh, you killed everyone you loved by accident. How much worse can it get? Oh, you're Joker-fied? Okay. Like, it wasn't... It's not that bad. Uh, It's, it's not that sort of comedic level of ridiculous that that i find really hard to buy into but there is sort of the sense of just like sometimes this show is just like oh it's so dark and brooding and like yeah you were making the batman reference like yeah you can make those same jokes and i'm just like this is not where this show excels how can people keep saying that it's like oh it's the main character's through line it's it's like okay it's also maybe to, to me it's always the weakest part i, I don't know it, i i enjoy it because i love good noir um mm. but i would also say it, it does serve through because when we when we deal with Vicious later, don't worry, Bob. I'm sure you'll watch this again. You'll learn who Vicious is, and that's his name. And we learn of the syndicates and Julia. This this is that scene that is mentioned in the penultimate episode of yeah, th- things went bad and people thought I was dead, which is absolutely noir. I don't think it necessarily went hard. I mean. It leaned into the noir of it, yes. I don't think it went terribly over the top with it for embracing noir like it does. I think it is reasonably balanced with just about everything else we see. Yeah. But again, that's that's me, to be fair. No, yeah. I'm claiming Switzerland. <laughs> I, I, I don't think it's like grossly so, but it's it is a weird like everything else about it is so jaunty, and then it has these moments that are just like so. Like, very noir, but, like, even noir, like, there's there's hard-boiled noir where it's just like, okay, I gotta keep the stiff upper lip in the face of all this, this you know, darkness that surrounds me. And then there's, like, you know, it, it to me, it stops being noir when it leaks into, like, I am so sad. When, uh, God, is it in an episode or was it in a movie where he talks about, like, yeah, I got two different colored eyes because one sees the past and the other That's sees the I'm not final say episode. It. That's the final episode? That's I thought... the last episode. Jeez, okay. But, yeah, they talk about, like, when you, when it gets into that about, like, yeah, my anime boy heterochromia gives me the 
the power to always be in the past and see my own death. I'm just like, you like, see, okay, I, like, I always took that as a reading of metaphor more than anything, because what we saw there is, and there's two ways in my opinion to interpret that beginning. It's either right before he goes into that, or what I believe is it's, he survived that this, that shootout was X minutes hour beforehand. And he had just gotten away. It's not that he's out there sad in the rain. It's, I don't know how I survived this and walking away to then start his life on the bebop as it were leading to the steps that he would take to join the crew of the bebop. That's the way I've always read it. It wasn't just that it's, Oh, it's dark and I'm sad. It's because those are the roses. He mentions that they were for Julia and how she be- spoiler Bob betrayed him. Right, no, I'm cutting it here. Anything else about the first episode you would like to discuss? <laughs> okay. Fair. <laughs> I I'm good. I think that it was an excellent setup. It got me invested in these characters. It's this is what a first episode. Epi- oh my goodness! First episode <laughs> should be. Nick, I think we got told we can't fan out over this anymore. <laughs> Thank you, Joe. <laughs> no, it's fair. If you, guys, if you guys are trying to sell me on the show, you shouldn't tell me the ending. Yeah, yeah. We haven't told you the ending. I don't care. You're discussing things too close to it for my comfort. Fair I, enough. Uh, like, like, I don't. I. I think to say knowing what happens in the last, this is still my thing about it. And and I'll leave it at this. It's just like, if you spoil what the, the spike and Julia and vicious plot line is, that feels like less than like 10% of the show. So it's not like you're ruining the show. All of the best stuff about the show has nothing to do with that outside of premise for why spike is on the bebop like that. that knowing that stuff doesn't ruin it because it, it honestly like sure it's in the the telling of the story is just as probably it's a more, plot line it's like more weight than the actual story itself yeah it, it's 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 what what do you call it it's it's not monster of the week but it is like character scene genre drama of the week and it's just like <laughs> yeah no we have this overarching thing but like we don't really care about that most of the time. Normally, it's mm-hmm. just like, you know, who's the Katarina of this week, you know? Mm-hmm. And to that point, I'd say I'm, I'm comfortable agreeing with Nick on the 10% because there's still all of Ed and Fang hey. and Jet's stories to get through. Well, that's oh. what I love about this show is that even though it's like set in this sci-fi world, like it's not about the world, it's about the people. And it's not just about one character either. Yes, they kind of get a little more focal overall, but when you compare all the all the individual story arcs, but they all get a good amount of time to be developed. Speaking of individual character stories, let's move on to episode 18, Speak Like a Child. Oh, Faye. While Faye wastes money betting on horse racing, a package arri- uh, arrives addressed to her. Uh, containing an old Betamax tape, prompting Spike and Jet to look for an appropriate device to view its contents. The tape proves to be a time capsule recording made by a teenage Faye, but Faye finds her pre-amnesia self unrecognizable. I want to I want to take the point on this one and just say, get this out of the way. There are like three points of this that are tied for my favorite. The end of the episode, how it ends when Faye comes back to the Bebop. From there forward, beautiful. The but before that, the whole. Again, I'm going to keep referencing Indiana Jones, the whole Raiders of the Lost Ark, but with a kind of playful beat in the background as we hunt for a Betamax player. <laughs> and, uh, oh no, it just left my head. No! Um, the the super domestic opening of, we have 
Papa Jet doing the laundry with Ed listening dutifully to the old myths he's telling. I'm next to uh, Spike, who's just in there. Man, I wish we had food. Man, I wish we had money. Yeah, just the, the casual day to day on the Bebop is such a good mm-hmm. love to love to see it. Love to see that expressed. Uh, yeah, this... I really love that Jet does all the domestic chores. He's he's the and he's he's Scotty, but he's also Guinan. He's the boy. Guinan never did Picards. Close. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> but no, yeah, I was gonna say, Bob, tell, tell us what you like because really. We're here for your thoughts, really, in the end. Uh, I really enjoyed the day-to-day. This is my first introduction to Faye and uh, Ed. Mm -hmm. Ed was an interesting character who I didn't like initially, but definitely grew on me. I feel like if I was there for his first episode, I wouldn't have to have had that build-up. But honestly, he's a great character. Or she. Uh, Okay, I have in my notes Ed's gender. Okay. Uh-huh. Um. Uh. Ed uses uh, Ed's a girl. Okay. Um. Specifically, Ed's character was inspired by the inner behavior of Yoko Kano. Quote: A little weird, cat-like, but a genius at creating music. End quote. Um. And was initially developed as a dark-skinned boy. Um. But that was changed to even the gender ratio on the Bebop. Um, and they do use the original design in episode five for an incidental character in the background. Oh, cool. Um, regarding Ed, Watanabe, uh, mentioned in a 2017 interview that the character's gender is meaningless. Yeah. (laughs) What what is it? In, in the show where Ed gets introduced, they're basically like, wait, I thought you're a girl. I thought you were a boy. And Mm -hmm. and Ed's just like, Edward is Edward. Edward is Edward. Yeah. Edward Edward is Edward. It's like. That yeah. is the most beautiful summed up thing. I need that on. I need that on certain demonstration banners here, <laughs> here too for in real life. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's honestly that's been my stance on gender as well. So it's good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the rest of the quote is, is is for the reason why Ed's gender was ambiguous. He said he wanted to create a character that surpasses humanity, going so far as to say that Ed might not even be human. Appreciable, and I can also I mean, see that. I mean, I I is superior to human. Yes, Ein is, is a data dog. Um. <laughs> Let that sink in, Bob. <laughs> I don't know. I the way the dog answered Ein answered the because, to my knowledge, uh-huh. two episodes I saw, Ein's name is never used. I think they mentioned it once in this episode. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. Yeah, I think Faye says like, "Oh, it's you, Ein, or whatever." When yeah. Ein answers when when, when no, the dog I... answers the space telephone. <laughs> She yeah. doesn't. She's and then just Ed's like, right she's just like, oh. And then when Ed comes in, it's just like, oh, finally, somebody who has the the capacity for speech. I, I thought it was maybe Ed that said, "Ein, what are you doing?" Something like that. That. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 But it was definitely in that scene that I believe that's when it was said. But it's one of those blink and you miss it kind of moments. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah. I, Joe, please explain what a data dog is. I basically just a, a super intelligent dog. It, it was in a lab, got experimented on. As one does. Yeah. Especially escaped from the English yeah. queen. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, in episode two, um, Ayn joins the crew. Episode two is good. That was also on the short list. Yeah. 
I, I stand with Joe on this one. All the episodes were the short list. <laughs> All the episodes were the short list. Which is a good thing. It's uh, such a rare thing to say for any show. I, I, as a character, I don't know how I felt about her in this episode until the end. Mm-hmm. She was like, oh, here's this betting lady. They're really going for some sort of trope with her. And then by the end, that's when I realized that she has a past, that she has yeah. amnesia. Yeah. It took till the end. <laughs> Can I touch on the Fae? The, the, the <laughs> fact that they don't, her amnesia does not come up in this episode or any of the episodes we watched at all until she's like, I don't remember any of this. And be like, oh, you have amnesia. Like, that makes the rest of the episode play. <laughs> yeah, she was cryogenically frozen in a thing that happened, we'll say, a month to a couple of days ago, because I don't remember the exact date um, in real time. Yeah. Um, and so she was cryogenically frozen, which I, if, Bob, I don't know if you're mm. going to watch this, but there's a reference when you you will eventually get her backstory. There's a reference on her cryoprod. Uh, she is uh, code number NCC1701B. Really? Yeah. 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 Uh, I've watched this show at least two dozen times, and I didn't realize that till like the 18th time I watched it. I never paid attention to that detail. But yeah, it's there. Uh, she she was cryogenically frozen. She woke up, and she just... A, a side effect of it was she just had no memory, and she has struggled to survive... And when you, if you, assuming you go back and watch it, you get to see, see kind of a believable interpretation of what one would do in a world they don't know. Mm-hmm. Also, isn't part of it that like the cryogenic process was like a a, a upon completion deal, so that's why she's in debt and is become I, a bounty hunter too. To quote Joe earlier, I was trying to avoid things that are called spoilers, <laughs> but yes, there, there's that is I, absolutely I, a thing. I think that's part of premise because that's part of why she's I get it. On I mean, ship. also she she's conned a lot of people. Yeah, yes, that, that's yes. in this episode. Oh, sh- Bob, it's not just this episode. Well, it's funny. So, did anyone come here and say, "I want to get revenge on you," or "You owe me money"? <laughs> Yo, I love Ed's interpretation of that. Give us money, gnash your teeth, rah, rah, rah. <laughs> like, no, yeah, that's exactly what I expect from a child. That, that makes perfect sense. Uh, with, the main, with the main story, I want to say, I really went in thinking, oh my goodness, they're going to go with the, oh, this is an artifact that was current of their age time and they have to go on a hunt for it. But I loved every minute of it. From, <laughs> the, from the Betamax historian, they haven't, and and by the way, this is where they reference the year that Earth had issues, which is the 2022. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh. Because they're hunting down through there looking for a Betamax store in a mall. Mm-hmm. Which, can I just say, when they're talking to that historian, the guy just like with a, sh- a shop that looks like it looks like Canal Street in, in New York, and it's just like oh. it's a hole in the wall. Filled with just VHS and Betamax players, and there's one dude in the back just watching old tapes. That's me. Here's the thing. That's me. I'm that guy. Nick, <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. I thought now that I know you as a person, I thought of you when I saw this. Like I've known some people. Oh, that Nick. <laughs> yeah, I literally have a wall of my old VHS tapes within arm reach. 
Like, Nick, honestly, I, the only thing that I thought that would seal the deal more is if that had been, like, knockoff anime Columbo. <laughs> God. And they were, when he was pulling the ribbon out of the tape, I was cringing the entire oh, time. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> it's a very stop, it's already dead kind of moment. And, you know, too, too relatable in the modern era now, considering this was, what, 20 years ago when this came out? Uh, 20 plus years ago? And it's I, two, two grown men. What is this? Oh, it's a, v, a Betamax, and then and then we get the Beta Boo version of well, VHS. But um, actually, the Beta was clearly superior. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you're my fourth favorite thing. I forgot about it until it came up. I and then he kicks the machine. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh. Don't no, yeah, he smokes around it and kicks it. Never let this man touch your technology. I so here's here's a fact that I look up. You're in for it now. Um, <laughs> Because I, I just wanted a frame of reference, because this show came out, what was it, 96 to 98, you said? 98, 99. 98 to 99. Um, and then I looked out, 2001 was the first year where home DVD players outsold VHS players. Oh, wow, yeah. They, wow. they, they would have had reference to that, and they could have, and they didn't. So, oh, wow. Yeah, so, so it was... Kind of a called shot, like it, like watching. This is a this is a weird thing in in how it holds up because it's not that it doesn't hold up, but it's just like you got to remember contextually, it was very close to like a like a late called shot, like ball in midair kind of called shot. But the idea of just like yeah, no, nobody's going to remember what a VHS is when, when at the time it came out, it was probably first released on VHS only, and then a couple of years later, mm-hmm. it got a DVD set, you know. Oh, hard, hard yeah. fact. Yeah, and I was even going to say, consider that, because we're all ballpark this generate same generation, mm-hmm. by virtue of a few years here or there, think of in our lifetimes, I, I, I know for myself, it's, I grew up, ah, there's the VHS and the cassette tape, and now it's the CD, oh, what's this, laser disc and DVD, ooh, high-def DVD, ooh, what do you mean CDs are already a way, a thing of the bygone era? <laughs> and then Blu-rays and MP3s, MP4s, and so on. Look how quickly that turned around. And somewhere kids today have, don't know what those are. <laughs> somewhere I have a VCD copy oh. of Jim Carrey's The Mask. And wow! The it is on two CDs. The movie splits it in the middle, and it's still in like three twenty by whatever. Y'all remember <laughs> Titanic came on two VHSs? Oh my god! Yeah, Godfather came on two VHSs. Uh-huh. And that said, here's one more too. I've got a lot of tapes. I've got a lot of stupid garbage. Why do I have all of this? I need to come up to your place and just start smoking and kicking things. No, never. Well, actually, no. We have a pachinko machine too, so that would actually <gasps> still be fitting. What house do I live in? Oh my god! I live. Am in I even parlor. real? <laughs> I'm a cartoon character. <laughs> Uh, no, you gotta ask yourself, Nick, which came first, the Beta Boo or you? Uh, beta. Did did his creation bring you into existence? <laughs> no, you were around first. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm just saying, life imitates art sometimes, and art imitates life. 
And sometimes <laughs> crazy. It's circular. Uh, where were we at? They're in the underground old city at the museum. Yeah. Yeah, but they make, their is, yeah. they make their decision based off, I think, what was most expensive. I think they said biggest, but yeah, yeah. something along those lines. So they bring that, and, uh, oh, a TV, a, which I thought yeah. was smart. Yeah. But going in, they're frowning, and they have these all these difficulties to get to this place, and they're just leaving smiling, carrying their stuff wrapped in plastic. The, uh, it was a museum run by Smash Brothers Melee players. That's why they had CRTs around. Oh my god, you know it. Uh-huh, that's my joke. Thank you for coming. <laughs> if you wait, staff. And then they get back to the ship, Bob, and what, what, and what Ed, did they find? Ed honestly knows how to put everything together. And then, Ed, or no, yeah, he puts it all together, or they put it all together. I, and Ed puts uh, it together. Being the child, you. Ed is the only one who knows how to use technology. Yes. They go to put the Betamax in, and they got a VCR. God, this is so good. Oh, dumb old man, I love it. I'm, I love that scene so much. Because Ed's just like, you got the wrong thing. Right, and then they're just like, like, well, okay, messed up, and then I, I, I love the, the, the goofy. See, th- this is, this is kind of what I mean, like. In general, the delivery services. Well, the the okay. So, all right, I got like four points. Stick with me. Uh, the show is so good when it's being so goofy that I think that's part of why, like, like it's still believable, but it's fun and it's jaunty and the music and I maybe I just enjoy it better than the the noir parts, but I, I feel like it's it's doesn't overdo it uh, with, with the rest. Um, Two, the delivery services are good because it's it's another they use they make like everything in the show is considered um because when they're talking in the beginning they're uh, jets telling the story about essentially they, a, a mystic turtle i uh, mm-hmm. i want to try and say the name i'm like god i'm gonna get it wrong and i don't want to do that yeah i it, it but he's, he's selling some folklore about a turtle who goes to some sort of like palace um and the when you know as he's done telling the story what shows up but a tortoise based delivery drone air dropping a package uh, a treasure if you will onto the deck of the ship um and it's like, oh, it's connected there. But the thing that I love is the one that comes at the end of the episode is a rabbit delivery service. Mm-hmm. So the and tortoise you... beat the hare to them. Mm-hmm. You, you would expect the a beta player to get there before the tape, so you can just watch the tape. I mean, probably it was supposed to. That's why they sent it by the exactly. rabbit one. But they, like... they leaned into that so hard, yet yeah, so quietly. It was beautiful. Right, they didn't even call like they didn't even point out that joke. That, that's the thing. Uh, this kind of storytelling, where it's just like we're putting the stuff in there, but we're not calling attention to it. This show is one of the greats when it comes to like gaining a, a deeper appreciation upon rewatches because there is it is so dense with stuff that the show itself just breezes over. It's so good. It's so good. I mean, yeah, Kareem, literal actual character modeled after Kareem Abdul-Jabbar appears in an episode. Yeah. <laughs> and well, I remember watching that as a kid. Well, I say kid, a teenager's like, isn't that just Kareem Abdul-Jabbar? Uh-huh. 
I was like, whoops, we got there. Famed for his appearance in that one scene in Dune with the pain box. <laughs> All right, that uh, was just for me. All yeah, right. I, oh, I, I, I got it. I got it. For me, it's I'm a, just, yes. a airplane. Airplane. <laughs> no, but also, yes, because I love both of these things. Oh, but yeah, the tortoise and the hair joke just, oh. Just inject it right into my veins. I just need all the references and the, and the little subtle jokes. Just give them to me. Just so little. Just so good. So, Bob, what, tell us about watching watching the tape and how Jet, uh, jet Black uh, parcel handling and cinema complex has some interesting fees. Yeah, that's it. Like, I appreciate how, because this show came out in the 90s, end of 90s to be fair, but 90s. And we see, you know, Amazon airdrops become a thing. And being Amazon airdrops, of course there's a fee. And everything that's assigned to Faye, Jet pays. Because he's there. And Faye's he's just nice. Question mark? Faye's a mooch. And he's being a nice guy, but she also has, in other previous episodes, robbed them multiple times. Oh yeah, she's always spending their money. So I don't know if he's being nice so much as he is like, you know, when you live in an apartment and one of the roommates is the mom of the apartment. I was gonna say <laughs> that's the like big dad energy. Yeah. yeah, he looks good in an apron when he's cooking <laughs> the beef and bell peppers with no beef. So they logically, instead of going on this secret mission to get the Betamax from, you know, destroying Mall. Uh, they just order one off of eBay, uh, get it delivered, and they watch it. But Jet initially being like, Faye, you have to pay to watch, which sounds well, kind of weird. Let me clarify something for you, Bob. Those were part and, no pun intended, part and parcel supposed to be together. It wasn't mm. like, oh, well, let's just order it off of Space eBay. This was something you will learn was actually essentially a time capsule shared ab- among friends. Hmm. So they watch it. Faye stands in the background because initially she says she's not going to pay, and I bet you she doesn't anyway. Uh, of course not. <laughs> she she watches this, and you recognize that it's Faye just because of the hair. That's what mm-hmm. did it for me. Uh, and it's really cute. Like, really sweet. And in my head, uh, because I didn't know about the whole cryo chamber thing, I'm like... How is she on a Betamax if it's supposed to be so far into the future? But now knowing that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, but her reaction for me was raw because I didn't know she had amnesia. Mm-hmm. So it builds her character a lot. At first she was this, I'm spending all of the monies, probably their money now, uh, on horse slash dog racing. And now it's like, oh, there's more here. You are damaged. Yeah. And it, it's got that beautiful looking at someone you know who doesn't know who they are. Mm-hmm. That bittersweet, like, that's me. And th- that I don't remember has just the delivery, the choice of words specifically, all hits just so hard in the gut. It's such a bittersweet moment. I, I know something, but I don't have any context for this. But it's it's that first real breadcrumb on the trail of who she is at what episode nineteen in the series 
of 26 uh, eight, episodes? 18. Yeah. 18. So we're well over halfway through the series. And, oh, by the way, now we're going to start dropping little bits about your past, finally. We, we've given you one thing before this, and that's essentially the cryogenic thing. Yeah, it, it's... Faye's a little weird, uh, I think, taken in, in the whole of the show because she definitely is like she is is almost she's like literally the, a woman out of time. Well, she's a, she's a woman out of time, but like as a character, I think she's one of the weaker ones because it's like, oh, she's the poster pinup girl, and they did tack some, you know, you know, they they put some of this real character in here, and they they get real good like you know emotional responses out of her. But at the same time, the way we mostly see her is she is this like gambler, conniving, mooch, whatever. It's just like like she is a a sort of like more like um like a token bad girl character than than you know a more deep character. But so, sometimes they all are until they get their own episode like this. I, w- I would say that cryogenic episode would also do a lot to explaining why she is the gambler and doing the things she does without trying to give too much away. Yeah. And that makes sense for someone who has no idea who they are and they're without any sort of grounding in the world that is completely alien to them. And this is not an, especially in the world that Bebop is in this future, is not an unrealistic or unbelievable occurrence. Yes, she was the poster pinup girl. And again, to borrow the Lupin reference, she is absolutely Fujiko Mine minus the romantic interest and act, but with actual depth. Yeah, she's a real Fujiko, isn't she? Damn, damn. Mm. Sure. Uh, I've, <laughs> I've actually seen once of Lupin, thanks to that job. Yep. Don't worry. I plan to make you watch that again in earnest at one point. And I can see it, but to Nick's point, it's these are character-based episodes. They don't really have arcs for everyone. Yeah, and and like yeah, it, it's 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 fine. But like, I'm I'm really thinking of the movie where she is. They basically just use her as a damsel in distress, and it's like, why you gotta <clears throat> do my girl fail like that? But like, like yeah. it it is moments like we get in this episode where it's like, oh, there's like a good character here, and I think the only thing I'm saying is like, they don't use the deep aspects of her enough but you know they, they fair, have other yeah. characters going on it, it's i mean she she is the fourth out of five characters we meet yeah and while she is the third understandably uh, or understandable in the way of communication character we meet <laughs> yeah the third definitive human <laughs> I, I feel like it was. There's definitely the the spike takes priority, the close second to Jet, and then kind of Faye Ed, Ed plus Ein because they kind of go hand in hand here two yeah. four of like they'll get theirs. Ed is definitely going to get the least development, but it also isn't when all is said and done. It's not necessarily a bad thing considering how young Ed is. Yeah, Ed, Ed is a good, like, Ed as is serves a purpose, which is, A, the computer hacker gets all of the information, 
like we see that a lot here. It's just like, oh, Ed just knows where the next piece of the the plot is hiding that they need to go have their Indiana Jones adventure to get. Um, but Ed, there's also some episodes where Ed is, you know, the one going out and talking and you have this sort of like childlike naivete and curiosity and interacting with people where it's just like, okay, Ed as is, is kind of functional. Ed doesn't really need to develop, but we do get, you know, the character background deep story on Ed in one episode. Like they go for it too. It's just like, all right, yeah. Go off, Bebop. The, the episode before the penultimate episode. Ah, that stuff happens late, huh? All right. Yeah, yeah. Ed, Ed's real backstory and everything is like, just like, oh yeah. Uh, it feels in a way of how it's ordered, just like from a high level overview. It's like, oh wow, you just kind of put that in there, didn't you? It's like, yeah, but where we go from here makes sense. Why? Hmm. Does this mean we're ready to talk about episode three? I think so. What I was going to say. Okay, let's uh, get into it. All right, our final episode was episode 22, Cowboy Funk. (laughs) A terrorist known as the Teddy Bomber has been using explosives hidden in teddy bears to bring down high-rise buildings in protest of humanity's exodus. Spike attempts to stop him, but constantly runs afoul of Cowboy Andy, a fellow bounty hunter who is far more similar to Spike than either would care to admit. Um, this episode, um, I mentioned earlier that this series first ran on, um, um, wow, brain, thank you. Mm Mm-hmm. Um. It has the high ground. Oh my god, brain, yeah. Uh Uh-huh. I mentioned earlier that Cowboy Bebop first ran on Adult Swim. Um, in September of 2001. Oh. Notably, notably, it started on the 2nd of September. Um, so. Oh. For the first year that it ran, the first, like, the first. The first. The first run of the season. Um, they pulled three episodes from showing. But you can't get one of them is. And one of them was this one, because the first building that gets blown up is a set of twin towers with a bridge between them. Yeah. <laughs> God, I, d- I didn't put that together that that was connected, which... What were so, the other two episodes? Hang on. Uh, the other two episodes... Probably the episode, one with the church. Episode 6 and episode 8. Joe, um, was, the church, was the church scene with the exploding part of it in episode 6? No. I, I believe that was where we first episode meet Vicious. Six is Sympathy for the Devil. Yep. 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 And yep. episode eight was Waltz for Venus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another classic. Okay. Yeah. Well, speaking of Bob, since you said classic, I want to <laughs> insert this little again references upon references. Almost every episode of Bebop is a song title or a, a twist of a song title or genre or type of music. I mean, Asteroid Blues is the blues. Uh, where, where are we at? We're at, what, uh, episode 20, Cowboy Funk, is funk. Yeah. And then we had 18, which was Speak Like a Child, <laughs> yeah. which is Speak Like a Child by Herbie Hancock. Yeah. Oh. I don't know music. Neither do I. I don't know music either, but I, much like Joe, I do like delving into endless rabbit holes of information. <laughs> Okay, real quick, what song or musical style is Parole Fou? That's clearly French for music style. Because these aren't um, exactly organized well. Okay. The episode is also called Requiem for a Clown. 
Okay. Okay. Oh. All right. Yeah. Okay. Fine. <clears throat> I mean, there is an episode, Bob, called Bohemian Rhapsody. That's right. So, or my I, funny Valentine. I only specifically watched these episodes, but to scroll to them, you go yeah. through all of the others. And yes, yeah. I did catch up on that. Good. I was just saying, I'm glad you did. It's it's just such a right in your face that you know sometimes some people don't, but it's so good. This, the, oh, no, they're, the, they're very in your face with it. And it's like the creator absolutely loves music, and I love that this is one of those. Unlike JoJo's, where we're going to just insert names that are direct one to one, it's like no, no, we're going to play with it and still have our fun. Yeah, like the music really is so like fundamental to this show. Oh, absolutely. But yeah, so Bob, yes, I want you to tell me about the character who I can, in my own head canon, is forever known as Tedward E. Bomber, <laughs> and you know how we meet Blonde Spike. <laughs> oh, so I'm going to start off with a question mm-hmm. Love this. of, was it 56 episodes and several movies? Why Just did one. you pick this episode? 26. One season. Oh, thank you. 26. Because for me, of the three episodes, this one was the weakest. I I did not like Cowboy Andy at all. <laughs> I don't think you're supposed to. Personally, I, I don't felt... think you're supposed to. I felt so bad for the teddy bomber that I almost wept uh-huh. for him. Same. I, I, yeah. I, I feel like you kind of hit on it. Like there's, this is one of the goofy three times in my notes for this episode. I just have all caps horse. One time it actually says horse elevator. I yeah, horse elevator. In my notes, horse elevator. <laughs> in fact, hold on, let me phone. I, I gotta read it because I think I may have put the same thing Joe did. Let me go down. <laughs> One second, Spike, blah, 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 today, blah, blah, blah. Because I know there was a f- talking about the f- uh, horse operating a phone, I believe. Yeah, it's a, but horses can, <laughs> I said, not scratched out, look up, operate elevators. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I'm like, holy shit. But, Bob, there, I will let you know, th- uh, this is a very goofy episode because there are goofy episodes in Bebop. And I had a feeling you might react this way to this, but there was an alternative for this spot that I felt you would have felt harder on than you mm-hmm. sounds like you did. And I feel like we made the right call. Like, I don't, I can't say that I dislike the episode. Saying it's the least impactful for me is just, A, sure. this is three episodes I'm looking at. And B, I feel like there was the least amount of growth. Not that I'm looking for growth, but there's really almost no stakes. Yeah, and, and right. as a note, in, in most anime... Uh, you have at least one episode like this where it's just like things get a little goofy and it's not really like to move the plot forward or the character story or anything. It's just like a let's just cleanser. have a weird little episode. That this weird served stuff. that purpose. Yeah. Uh, I and, did appreciate. Oh, go ahead. Well, I, I was. Uh, I think part of why this was one of the ones we picked is because, you know, basically when we're not having a like main character backstory or intro episode, the rest of the episodes kind of fall into like this, the more like noir character of the week kind of uh, saccharine that we saw in asteroid blues, or it falls Mm -hmm. into a more goofy, um, 
you know, uh, character of the week like uh, this one with Cowboy Andy and the Teddy Bomber. So uh, this is, I'm not going to say it's representative of the rest of the series, but like discounting the ones we've looked at, this may be representative of like half the series to, to more and lesser extent. Like even uh, Speak Like a Child, the fact that they're mm-hmm. doing this Indiana Jones adventure for a Betamax player, like that's, th- there's a certain goofiness to it in itself. Um, I'll this agree one, to that. Th- this one, like, definitely relies more on uh, annoying character and also horse elevator. This one relies heavily yeah, that, on horse elevator. It's, it's like, so I guess there are just smart animals. Because that horse was definitely a smart animal. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So, overall, I would I don't mind it. I felt bad for Faye. Uh, Ed was a minimal character, but what's there? Because it explained uh, where Andy, right? Cowboy Andy mm-hmm. came yeah. from. Like this whole past that he's just this inheritance heir, rich billionaire that can go do whatever he wants. Yeah, trust fund cowboys. And no, no, has his... some sort of vision issue. Even though he's Andy, he says... Call me Wyatt Earp. <laughs> this is relevant to later. He's clearly intelligent enough because he's one of the two best-known bounty hunters. Well, th- that's the thing, though. From how we see him in action, and like we part of his backstory that that Ed illuminates is that he was kicked out of the Cowboy Association for being a nuisance. Is like. I don't think he's known for being a good bounty hunter. I think he's inf- he's an infamous bounty hunter in that yeah. sense. He has a reputation, Bob. Maybe that's why you don't want to be caught by him. Like, wow, really, Andy? <laughs> and, and to be fair, the comparison that f- f- this episode channels a lot of, again, I keep stressing on, Lupin the Third, uh, the gang vibes, because... Faye and I keep wanting to say Jigen, but Jet keep <laughs> pulling off a Fujiko and Jigen watching Lupin go and do something because he's stubborn and can't let it go for one time. And they just channel that so well. But for, in this case, our Spike Lupin has met his equal because they don't say that Spike is a good bounty hunter. He just has a reputation and it's kind of similar to Andy. And if you go back to the first episode when they're explaining why there's no beef in the bell peppers and beef, well, there was the repairs to the building you blew up and then the the damage you did to this and the, the medical bills from this guy and so on and so forth. That is true. He, and they're constantly out of cash. I'm not sure Spike is a good bounty hunter but he has a reputation as a bounty hunter now i feel even worse for teddy bomber right yeah that 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 was actually um one of my notes i think earlier uh for asteroid blues is like this is definitely a show where the our main cast does not experience a lot of victories like there's definitely a lot of episodes that just sort of end just like all right well that happened i guess we're moving on now a lot of like, yeah, they don't always catch the bad guy. They don't always, you know, come out on top in the end. But it's just, it's... See, when the show is, is sort of noir and... I keep wanting to say saccharine, but that doesn't quite work. Um, when it works like that, where it's just like in, in like structure and like underwriting, I think it works great. 
of just like, yeah, no, this is not a show about our heroes are going to win every week. This is a show about sometimes you just keep putting one foot in front of the other. Yeah. It's... I think that's why our generation finds this, like, latched onto this show. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you just got to get by with what you can. And yeah. Maybe yeah. one day you'll get that bounty head. <laughs> right, rise and grind. That's That was the pitch. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Uh-huh. But yeah, Bob, so tell, tell, us, actually, tell us more about the... And, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead, Nick. No, just um for the last episode, my very first note for Speak Like a Child was just, again, all caps, nobody has any money! Yeah. So, yeah, it resonates with our generation. Yeah, I think mine was along the lines of regarding Jets, what I called the delivery service fee and, or holding fee and the ticket price to the movie. Well, mm-hmm. I was like, but we're all poor! Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, yeah, I... But yeah, Bob, please tell us more about Adventures with Andy. Yeah, Andy apparently needs glasses because when we first meet him, he's accusing Spike of being Eddie Bomber with the guy who wearing four watches with detonators on them to dance behind them. Uh, <laughs> I love those watches. Yeah. And regardless of what Spike says, Andy is like, well, you know, faces can change when you have the face of the guy who's... But yes, uh, Andy is an interesting character. I see why he is known as Andy, even though he demands he is Wyatt Earp. <laughs> well, that changes later, too. Oh, are you talking about the very end? Uh-huh. Musashi. Uh, <laughs> it changes uh, the name of his horse, too. I feel yeah, bad for that Onyx. horse. Yeah, that that horse has <laughs> probably a real identity crisis. But you got Teddy Bomber, who has this thing about teddy bears, which, you know, psychologists might have issue with, but it made him an interesting character. Mm. I love how every time he starts to go on his his treatise of why he's doing this, Nope. Along mm-hmm. comes the face. whistling. That whistle. You think... Yes, deep song. Bob? I think people would be like, oh, uh, I think I know what's going to happen. No, every single time they're just confused. What's that noise? Listen here. Except... A horse got speakers on its butt. <laughs> Except for when, when Spike is waiting for Andy. It's like Teddy Bomber is there and he's just like, shh. And one guy whistling goes by. I was like, no, wrong tune, wrong guy. And then the next whistle, he's like, there it is. It's... Okay, you're channeling this because I, my note for that one was, hold on, let me let me do that. Spike comes up and like, I'm here to take you in, but first I'm going to kick this guy's ass. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just like, there are more important things than arresting you, Mr. Ter- homegrown Terrorist. Hold on. It... The thing that I love about Andy and his whistle and the the way that the episode sort of relies on the comparison of like, oh, they're more alike than they care to admit. It's just like, oh, Andy is the proto man to Spike's Mega Man. There's a whistle right before he shows up. He's basically the same, but in alt color and they fight, even though they're basically the same. Palette swap Spike. (laughs) Oh, I love it. Player two Spike. Well, because it's either that or he's, um... Uh, the pilot of Texas Mac from Shin Getter versus Neo Getter Robo. <laughs> he is also this, the vo- voice actor for the English voice actor for Andy will appear in a show that will be later on that we will be showing Bob. Oh, really? 
Oh, yeah. I was also going to note that the the voice actor for Cowboy Andy is the voice of the antagonist in the Cowboy Bebop movie. Yep. Oh God, really? Oh, yeah, really? I, I looked Fantastic. up. His, yeah, he's, I looked up his credits. <laughs> yeah, he's he's in a lot. He's in a lot of things. Like it, it's just great. That's all I can say. It's just, it's just so great. This guy does work regularly. Bob, Bob, you you remember a certain movie by the director or the creators of South Park uh, with puppets making fun oh, of? Oh yes, America, I'm aware of that movie. Yes, he was the voice actor of the squad of the group leader, the special operations group leader in there. Really? Wow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's done a lot. He is. This guy does work. Good for like him. I, last night, yeah, last night I uh, IMDb'd his page and like. Oh, he just does everything, doesn't he? <laughs> but yeah, so we ha- we have our palette swaps fighting and misidentification. Bob, please continue. That just, I don't know why, but it's, that's where I lose the spite comparison because he's, that just makes me give off an inept vibe, even though he's not. He works at Lasso really well. He's clearly not poor because he's able to take Faye to his secret lair. And... He has his oh. own soup brand. Yeah. yeah. Apparently not good. Triangle cans, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I cool. love that detail. <laughs> I love that detail so much. That just makes me so happy to see that. Specs better. Yeah. yeah. It does. Uh... Oh, I would also like to note that um, uh, his the theme song for Cowboy Andy is called Go Go Cactus Man. Mm-hmm. That's very good. Uh, my brother's name is Andrew, so we had it as his <sighs> phone ring for a while. <laughs> yes, I need to have friends named Andrew now. <laughs> oh my god, that makes me so happy. Oh, uh, I, I also love after after the first failed attempt at capturing capturing Mister Tedward E Bomber uh, when Spike goes back to the Bebop and is showing how he was trampled by a horse. That Faye is literally giving him the, of what we just watched, which in the course of the series was several episodes before, Faye accuses him of going and losing money on, their their food money on, gambling on horses and dogs. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, look at her displacing that guilt. I love it. <laughs> and how even Jet doesn't, doesn't take him seriously at all. And it's, uh, it, it takes Ed to say, no, no, he real. Despite the the hoof prints on Spike's back, again mm-hmm. very Lupin. I I don't think I'd ever oh, actually yes. heard that detail before about the inspiration. But like, yeah, that completely plays. Oh my gosh! Well, say so look at his physical his physical character design, and especially in the shoes and the just like how gangly his arms and legs are. And there is at least one episode where he wears a red jacket instead. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. But, like, even the design of the shoes have that same kind of, like, ball shape at the end, like in Lupin. Yeah. Created it's... as a mirror image of Watanabe, and based on Japanese actor Yusuku Matsuda's portrayal of Shinsaku Kudo in Tante Monogatari, Detective Story. Hmm. Hold on, I was looking at my IMDb trivia, and they were talking about the... They also had that, because I knew I heard it, like... Uh, apocryphally that it was the the uh, Lupin reference, but mm-hmm. I, I IMDb had it too, so it must be true. 
love I love to get to the bottom of the IMDb trivia lists. It's the best. Oh, part. let me tell you, the IMDb trivia for Bebop is just gross. Oh, boy. <laughs> so much. Uh, but anyway, I digress. I digest. Um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so we we have we have attempt number 2, don't we, Bob? Yeah. Oh, and- I'm, I will interrupt, I'm sorry. Before we see attempt number two, I do love the quiet joke of Ayn in the foreground as we, we the audience, now see spikes back to us showing off the hoof prints. We get to see Ayn just in the foreground walk by with a wig that will feature very prominently in attempt number two to catch Andy. Yeah. I, lo- I love that. I, I, there was something about that that struck me because like, I feel like in any other show we would have Jet in disguise first and then later we would see Ian playing with the wig but the fact that the wig is there first and completely unexplained and then later you go oh that's why wig is like I, I don't know it's just, it's it's brave and face got her dress like laying on the couch mm-hmm. next to her as yeah. she's playing with her mask well I love that because you don't you rarely in the shows in general get to see the prep for the mission you just see them go into it or talk about prepping but here is clearly that visual language of they are preparing for something, but if you're not paying attention, it's just the next scene, and they have now worn and are in the middle of their operation. It's just, again, good visual language and flow of events. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and more of that, like, just showing things happening without pointing everything out. Great. Also, great. also kind of had like er, uh, Edgar Wright before Edgar Wright vibes with the wick and so many things in this episode. <laughs> but yes, we got to see what Edward, Edward or Eddie, Edward. Uh, yeah, he's uh, wearing his own costume to what would appear to be some sort of masquerade ball or costume ball, as it were, and he decides he's going to dress up as a teddy bear. Very innocuous. Oh, Ted Very <laughs> non-suspicious. Mm-hmm. And groovy knows. jet. Don't you think, Tedward? And then we see Spike uh, uh, confront him. We're talking about, how'd you figure out it was me? Because we could tell, and then you just hear this whistle in the air. And the horse and... gets off the elevator. I love that. <laughs> That's so gross. Dude, I appreciated they were like, just so you know, sir, horses aren't allowed here. Mm-hmm. I'll have you know, Onyx <laughs> is no normal horse. God, I do want to see the chess game between Ayn and Onyx. Oh my god, yes. I I, I do love Jet being the, the literal, actual aged hipster. And it's just that Steve Buscemi gif. <laughs> what is up, my fellow youths? And he stays in in character for so long. I know it's he's so in character good. that entire scene. I feel like he's the kind of guy who's like, no, I practiced this voice and perfected my disguise. I'm gonna <laughs> stick with it as long as possible. Mm-hmm. I rehearsed these lines. I will use them. <laughs> oh my god! They call him the jet black dog because uh, when he. Uh, bites into a lead he never lets go so he's mm-hmm. always committed to the bit <laughs> we got there I'm leaving I retire well, I mean it's literally in the text of an episode later so yeah it was there the whole time oh my god okay so what you're telling me 
is this is Japanese Edgar Wright <laughs> level of writing. Yep. It's great. I love it. But anyway, Bob, please, please, please go forward with what happens. What's it going to do to hilarity in Andy being uh, his questionable self? Uh, Bomber blows up a bomb, guts in the vehicle, guts the weight. Well, you know, I'm really shrieking that scene down. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Uh, that's fine. But, uh, Teddy gets away while Spike and Andy are having their confrontation. Horse uh, versus spaceship. Yep. Well, so then we get to the the race chase scene with, of course, the bad guy, Teddy Bombers, driving really fast ahead of two bounty hunters who are chasing each other. <laughs> and this just proves that that poor Teddy just so unloved. I just want to blow up things. For reasons we never got a reason for. He's trying to send a message. Uh, Oh, no, we do here at the end. We do. Yeah, we do here at the end, which is the beautiful part of it. Also, I feel called out. We'll get to that. Um, (laughs) I I do want to ask a question, and go with me on this journey, because there's a reason I ask this. Would would anyone say Faye is a femme fatale? Yes. Okay, there's a reason I ask this. And, and I, I don't, I don't need an elaboration because I, I was kind of expecting this, but there's a reason I ask. Because Faye, in that uh, pre, pre, uh, essentially plane versus horse chase of a car, um, Faye gets in the elevator with Andy and lays it on thick, kind of with, "Hey, can I get a ride?" And then ends up riding the horse with him, literally, because her charms don't work the way she intended on him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I love that kind of just subversion of her expectation. We, the audience, by you know having those of us that watched the season through and through, kind of aren't necessarily surprised this happens to Faye. Yeah, but it's just, it's just so as Andy brings pulls out his grenade launcher, essentially trying to shoot down Spike. Yeah, it's a lever action shotgun, but then it's shooting like mini missiles. Like, all right, high tech, fine. I take cowboy. I'll take it. And then Spike's shooting back from his ship. Uh huh. But clearly, you know, Teddy gets away because he's not as important as these two fighting each other. And Q uh, scene switch where we get to see Faye and Andy at, I'm assuming, his. Special place? His yacht. His yeah. super yacht. His yacht with a stable for one. <laughs> with with the head sticking out through so, you know, Onyx can chat with the guests while they eat. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I gotta say, did anyone else pick up real harsh Onyx judging Faye vibes with just every time they cut to Onyx? God, I don't Eating think I even care. noticed the horse was there. I don't... Wow. What? <laughs> they, Listen, I don't know. <laughs> They had the, the uh, oh, what's it called? Where, where the horses eat out of? Oh, the trough. Stall? The trough. Yeah. And he had his carrot. It's in it's in the living room. God. Yeah, the, the, central, the central activity space of this yacht is also his stable, also the dining area, where we get the son of a gun stew. Like, oh, God, you would call it that. I love, I, I, 
I love that that he introduces it like like he comes out of the kitchen with just these bold days like here's my my own recipe son of a gun stew and it's just like oh okay he made soup and then later it cuts to no it is branded it came out of a can like yes it's his uh-huh. soup but it is it is a, a Campbell's equivalent well I mean it's like saying the chef Boyard uh chef Boyardee recipe is the chef Boyardee recipe from the chef yeah okay <laughs> I just love that. It's like, I'm going to promote all of my stuff because capitalism. God, yeah. He's good at, well, he's, he comes, he comes from money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that makes sense. I think. Yeah. And it, it does. And it's so true to the kind of character he is, this trust fund baby wannabe cowboy. It's like, this looks fun. I'm going to do that because clearly I can because money. Mm-hmm. The world is his oyster. And Faye has lots of faces this entire meal. So many good faces in this episode. Bob, have I told you how much I really enjoy the animation and art of this series? Like, uh, they do faces very well. Oh, they do so much. But yes, all those expressions are just... A lot of the... Aspirational. A lot of the expressions later when Spike and Andy are just having it out and just sick of each other. That is true. But Faye gets her fill of Andy, uh, so to speak, mm-hmm. and his his weird chili. Uh, brings back cans of chili to the base, which we see them eating at the end. Uh, and it cues on to, I would say, close to the final scene, with Spike and Andy finally going after Teddy their own ways. Again. Mm-hmm. And then there's this big building fight, which is actually really cool. Not yeah. gonna lie, I did enjoy that. It it was kind of like a swerve. Just like, all right, we're gonna get serious now. We're gonna have this cool fight again. It is between the goofy one and our main character, and they're still, you know, still ignoring in, the yeah, still in service of ignoring the actual bounty here. But it's a cool fight because I think it's Faye, doesn't she get the bounty? Yeah, yeah. Teddy starts to walk away and just gets cold cocked in the face and fighting between our you know dynamic diverse duo here, and then it cuts to Faye watching them through binoculars with Jet just kind of me dad energy. My kid's doing that thing again, (laughs) and the the sheer not only the fight but the sheer over the top. And again, I will even stress Lupin, but also traditional anime in the sense of we're trying to escape this dire situation of bombs and explosions that would absolutely kill us in any other situation but this is where we're going to have the plot armor intervene of these are the main characters and focuses of the story so of course they're not going to die in an explosion they're going to shrug it off and beat the crap out of each other yeah uh, that's part of this being a goofier episode. I, I think that that's why it's just like, yeah, no, they're, they're oh, gonna yeah. their feud is gonna bring down a building around them literally, but uh, it doesn't really matter. It's goofy. It's cartoons. Hey, we heard you needed a palate cleanser because we've done some heavy episodes. Well, here you go. Yeah, and it looks like Spike is on his feet. He's losing, and he gets so upset he punches a desk, which takes out a quarter of a building. Looney Tunes, anybody? It's Looney Tunes. And then Andy just like, all right, you win. That was a good punch. You win. <laughs> Here's right. my hat. And then the horse arrives on an elevator by itself. So 
Right. We we skip the part where they get to the top of the building because uh, Teddy Bomber lures them into the elevator and then says, hey, the elevator's going to oh, go yeah. to the roof. And when it gets to the roof, I've put all my bombs there. So you two are going to explode with the building. And like, but so they get there. So they are fighting in like the ruins of the penthouse because it did explode. They, you know, managed to escape that situation. But if you think about it, that was the main elevator of the building, right? So that horse not only had to take the elevator and operate the elevator by itself, it also had to go and, like, find a secondary freight elevator that was still operational to get to the roof. Yeah. As as horses in the future do. Future horse. It was a data horse? I mean, might as well have been. Listen, most animals you see in the show are also functional USB drives. Yeah. Gotcha. Or just outright, you know, certified geniuses, (laughs) Mensa-level geniuses. So we get to the end of the episode, where after Andy gives his cowboy hat to Spike and goes off his merry way, we see our band of friends Mm -hmm. eating the cowboy chili. And Andy turns to a life of samurai. I couldn't tell if he was helping or hurting the thief. He was there. Well, it's it's leaning into the wandering samurai trope. He was just promoting his brand. It was Mm -hmm. a drive-by brand promotion. Drive-by engagement. He activated an influencer, the Teddy Bomber. Known influencer. No no influencer, Teddy Bomber. His stream is sponsored by Miyamoto, uh, Andy Miyamoto Masashi's new uh, new uh, microwave ramen. We'll say. Also sponsored by Teddy Ruxpin. Oh my God! (laughs) Build a bear. Build a bomb. Build a bear bomb workshop. (laughs) Got it. Got it. Oh, build a bear. Take one on a plane today. Don't do that. Cut the red wire with love. Oh um, my god. But yeah, this is where I, I so I love this scene. And I think this is when the show like reminds you that it is still the show that it is and not just has gone completely off the goofy rails on this one because like Andy is is doing a, a drive by uh brand influence on the police van that is taking the Teddy Bomber off to jail. But we have this quiet moment in the back of the van where the one cop is just like, hey, so why did you, you know, blow up all of those buildings? And this is after asking what, like, the real questions, like three or four or more times during the episode where like he is starting to give his manifesto. But then usually Andy's whistle interrupts or there's a fight or whatever. Um, like that's the running gag, but they finally give it to this guy and it's like, no, say your thing. And it is like a, yeah, I'm anti-capitalist and big buildings are like symbolic of the excess of capitalistic society. And it's like, it doesn't need to be that big. It is just showing off money without doing good for, you know, real people without doing, you know, real change in society. So that's why I'm blowing it up because hey, that sucks to be all about that. And I love it. It's, like we said with Columbo, the show, every, everyone in the show has made him the running joke by talking over him and, and making it this goof that he's not going to get his message out. But the show itself takes this quiet moment at the very end to just be like, 
we're we are i the show am respecting you the character take your moment to say your thing and it's this really weird like meta interaction thing i don't know i i just i just really appreciate that it's like no he gets his opportunity he is not just a butt of the joke the whole time even this dude who has been the butt of the joke the whole episode gets a moment to be a real character and he's has a valid point i feel like i that was the subtle beginning of who I was when I heard that manifesto. Because <laughs> I heard that, I'm like, I've said those words in the last three days. <clears throat> Multiple times throughout the week, depending on who I was talking to. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I feel put on blast. Okay. Also, oh, I guess I know how my story ends. Bomber? Uh-huh. Okay, okay, okay. Choice of words was intentional. <clears throat> And I, I just watched it. I'm like, oh, I guess I know how my story ends, huh? Yeah, you get to be Spike Beagle. patting you on the shoulder. And all right. What was that, Bob? And a cop patting you on the shoulder. Yeah. God, that's that's going to be the weirdest consolation. There, there. Yeah. When the law, when the law says it's okay. I'm like, wait, what? And I love the conversation at dinner on the bebop of. Now that now that this is all behind them. Oh, I didn't think he was a real bad guy. He was fine. He was just trying really hard. He was an okay guy, really. We we weren't that bad at each other. God damn it, Spike. That whole that whole backtracking on his hate for Andy was just priceless. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <sighs> so I don't know, uh, Depending on where you watched it and whether you like let the credits play or let it just skip to the next episode. One, the real folk, the real folk blues, the closing theme song is also amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also get a little piece of things you don't really get when you get watch things on streaming anymore. Um, but the little preview of like what's happening next episode. Oh yeah, will come out in a week. Did you to be honest, chance? I think I think it was a uh, go to next episode. Hmm. Oh. I'm sorry. No, no, no it's okay. not your fault. It's Netflix. <laughs> it's Netflix's fault, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Happy to blame it on Netflix. Yeah, I knew they were there, so I like said watch the credits, um, just because I love I love the. It's just like two characters, kind of like just kind of shooting the breeze and just being like, "Hey, this is what happens next time." Well, and this to the to your point for this particular episode, the coming up next time was done by Andy mm-hmm. with Spike constantly interrupting. That's not what it is. That's not the. <laughs> that's not what's happening. That's not the name of the episode. <laughs> Which was Andy's Andy's re, er, return of Andy. He gets revenge on the bounty hunters. <laughs> like that is absolutely not the title. Also, weirdly enough, this is the episode after which the the movie canonically takes place. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Bit of a tone shift, but oh yeah. Also, hey, that's a Halloween episode, technically. Yep. Technically, yeah. Or a Halloween movie, rather. It is. A big pumpkin balloons mm-hmm. make you see butterflies. <laughs> Future's great. <laughs> ah. <laughs> I I loved how, as someone who really enjoys Star Trek and how. 
good and clean and working everything is supposed to be. I love how lived in the bebop is. Oh yeah, no, you, you see all the, the grunge, the, the, the stress mm-hmm. marks and micro impacts on the hull of the bebop of the swordfish. These are machines that have served and continue to serve their purpose. Uh, I just love it. In Asteroid Blues, there is the moment where Spike is filling up the swordfish with fuel and talking mm-hmm. to Catalina and like saying like oh yeah it it seems some seen some uh, roadware hasn't it and just like behind spike you see it and it's like just this close up but you see all of like the scars and dings and like this really cool ship just looks like trash and like it it's cool because you have that plus then we had uh again, the Indiana Jones segment when they're looking for the VHS player, and it's like, no, this is what real trash looks like. It's like, no, the good stuff Mm -hmm. also looks bad. You know, because here is the real garbage. The the one shot that always gets me about that particular sequence was when they're going through one room and they are sliding down a banister Mm -hmm. hanging over a pit because the banister is the only part of the staircase left. There are no stairs. There's just banisters, so they have to carefully ride down it and it's like wow okay yeah it's once your stairs go away you have you have stopped being a civilization yeah it was oh so good i loved it. everything about that was just visually i i, I will consistently say this is like a visually perfect series it just does everything yeah. right it there's nothing i feel wanting for yeah in one episode there's um basically like long haul truckers um, I just it, <laughs> it's great when you're looking at their ships and like their cockpits and stuff because they're all very much like how long haul like truckers do like it's just filled with their stuff like they've made that space their own and they're all unique and it's just it's so good and the trailers have graffiti yeah yep. so good so, yeah so Bob we get oh, oh yes. sorry, Nick. Uh, every episode of Banger. That's it. I think yeah. that that kind of has to be the. Fu- I'm probably going to sit and rewatch the series now that I've tasted it. Yeah, yeah. I, I've been rewatching it. I rewatched the last one last night because I didn't give it a proper attention the first time I rewatched it. But uh, yeah, it's one of those like uh, I've been watching a couple other shows, but like when I when I get tired of those or I need a break from, I'm absolutely going to be rewatching Bebop again. <clears throat> but Bob. The- we gotta we gotta ask the real questions, and we're not asking for your treatise and why you're trying to blow up a building. Me. Give me a, give me your thoughts on what you've seen of Bebop surmated. It how do you feel about this? How do you uh, feel about watching more? Yes, I would give this out of ten teddy bombs, definitely a a, a nine point nine to ten out of ten. I will oh, probably binge watch this this week. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I love that. So what we what we have here is a certified banger. Yes. Ne- never a doubt in my mind, but there's always a chance for, you know, a real curveball there. It may have sounded like I was putting down <laughs> Cowboy Funk, but A, knowing that this is a taste of it, not a singular episode, mm-hmm. kind of makes me more interested just to see these characters. They're all interesting. I'm just gonna say some words to you, Bob. I'm, 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 it's, it's gonna give away nothing, I promise. But I'm gonna say some some words to you, and I just want you to let them marinate. Mushroom samba. Mushroom samba. Mushroom samba. Uh, Boy's in the attic. 
Oh god, toys in there. Uh-huh. Bob, I, I am... Is this like an entrance password? <laughs> These are titles of episodes to give you. Also, Mushroom Samba is a reference to the Samba. Toys in the Attic, a reference to the Aerosmith song, Toys in the Attic. These are activation <clears throat> phrases, is what these are. <laughs> yeah, for for the, uh, any audience listening to this that is familiar with Bebop, will just, oh yes, and they, <laughs> we've just triggered memories. These these are weeb activation phrases. Bob, you remember back in the day when we used Orange Monkey Eagle? It's kind of like that. Leaper nerds. <laughs> yeah. I just... Oh, this is... I, I really feel... I, I know it's kind of an overstatement, but I also really feel it's true. This is just a perfect series as far as I Yeah, concerned. this series yeah. is the top of most people's lists for good reasons. Mm-hmm. Every top ten anime list ever, Bebop is, if not one, in that top three. And, and usually it, one is a mistake. <laughs> yeah, and it is it is a really good introductory anime, too, just because it's it's the one season. It's, like, it's so stylish and just done so well that you can enjoy it as a show. Really kind of kind of sets you up to not know to not have the right expectations for the rest of anime as a genre actually <laughs> you know that's not wrong because there there was a whole year or part of the reason i walked away from anime years ago was like i'm looking for something like bebop that just does it for me on all levels as a story as a narrative and there's at that time it was like well what was available in the u.s legitimately like eh, good luck and I'm like, okay, well, I guess not. And then when I came back, I'm not saying Fate Stay Night or Fate Zero is anything like that, but it at least gave me a story that wasn't shonen. It wasn't yeah. we're all we're the power of friendship, and we're going to make this happen, and nobody gets hurt. It's like, oh, good thing things happen. There's consequences to actions, etc. Like, oh, good storytelling to some to by comparison. So this this is one of those this. This is the whiskey your dad gave you to take care of the cough that ruined beer for you, and why you oh. cannot have beer. You ha- can the weakest alcohol you can have now is whiskey, That's because you have a tolerance. Metaphor. Yeah, also very germane to my life. Don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but y- this is it. This is the thing. It's like this will ruin a lot of other stuff, but I think we dodge a good chunk of that. It's mm-hmm. it's that good barometer of, in relation to Bebop, how do I feel about this? Yeah. Measuring stick. That's the word I was for phrase I was looking for. <laughs> there it is. It's a measuring stick. Speaking of in comparison, I think it's about that time of the episode. Well, we only have yeah, one what, option left. Yeah. Yes, with just good anime, I'm curious to see what the comparison will be. Bob, this is one you might be familiar with, but... We, I don't have the list in front of me. Do we have the the funny special title? I do. Uh, okay. So, Bob, uh, you get to choose from amongst these one remaining shows from the Just Good TV tier. Um, and the tagline is, Heavy Metal Karaoke to Soothe the 9 to 5 Soul. I, I'm going to go with 9 to 5 Karaoke to Soothe the soul i'm sure there was more there that i forget alex nah you pretty much got it (laughs) yeah all right so uh for next time we will be watching a which you can go back to netflix (gasps) and watch 
I've watched <laughs> two episodes of that, and then I was like, I moved on to something else, but the first two were amazing. <laughs> and that's why I put it on both. here. Because I remember you having kind of a positive view, but you've only gotten into, like, I thought maybe three episodes, so this no, is fine. only the first two. Good, because I'm going to give you episodes, we'll discuss the actual we'll episodes, discuss it, yeah. but I'm going to give you episodes that aren't in the first season. Okay, I didn't know there was more than one season. There are multiple oh, wow. seasons. I think I've only seen the first season. I All believe right, cool. there's four, and I think a fifth coming. I saw, yeah, we watched the first two, I think. Okay, I know, I know we watched a bunch, and then they added more, and I was just like, yeah, uh-huh. I should get to that. <laughs> and that title is perfect. Mm-hmm. I, that's that's why I was worried. I came up with the title, and I was like, Bob might recognize this one. He might get this. It might click for him. <laughs> but you didn't, and I'm kind of wow. happy about it because, ta-da, Bob, it's, like I said, we're not going to give you anything that's going to sabotage you. So here you go. Here's your reward. <laughs> <laughs> Something you know, sort of, but not really. Yeah, that's about an angry person pretending to not be angry. Mm-hmm. Ah, working in retail. Yes. <laughs> Well, I was just saying, working, working, period. Yeah, working, working in a capitalist structure that I need to blow up. I'll be back. Don't worry about <laughs> it. I, 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 know, I know a guy who can get you both teddy bears. Oh, sweet. <laughs> I mean, cool. Cool. Um, all right. So that's going to do it for this episode. We know what we're looking at next time, and that's going to be really exciting. So, yeah. Uh, until next time, take care. This is Bob. Yeah. Go eat your bell peppers and beef. But no beef. (laughs) Deep in the Weebs is a show by Chuck, Nick, Joe, and Bob. Our theme music is Kawaii Friends by C. Cotty 3. You can find our show on YouTube or subscribe to the audio-only version on iTunes or wherever podcasts are served. I've just got one quick question. Shoot. Go. If Jet is our Jigen. I have an answer for this. I know where you're going. If Go ahead. Spike is our Lupin. Mm-hmm. If Faye is our Fujiko. Mm-hmm. Does that mean that Ed and Ayn together are our Goemon? No, that's vicious. Oh.